of territory there. And uh, this crash coming at the worst time for countries like uh, Nigeria, Angola. A lot has been said about the impact this has had on the share price of Sasol. But if your entire, I guess, national balance sheet and your entire fiscus is heavily reliant on revenues from the sector, you, you're certainly set to take a beating. Yes, I mean, um, thanks for having me on the show, Ayabong. But it, it hasn't been good for those all net producers, uh, those countries. For a while now as well. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, we, we, you're talking about the most recent tank, which is nothing as compared to, you know, coming all the way from around $80 a barrel to where we are today. <laughs> it, it wasn't looking good then, and it's not looking good now. Uh, but to specify, the, you know, to just to explain what happened to uh, the oil price, the oil price they're talking about is the one that's dominantly used by North Americans, which is the the Canadian oil and the Western Texas, you know, um, which is um, the ones, you know, produced from the United States, which is also uh, predominantly now produced by frackers as well. So mm. that's, that's, that's the one that's so massive oversupply to, you know, um, numbers that haven't seen before. But obviously, this has been a problem since, you know, as early as 2014, 2015. But the biggest issue is that now the pandemic is just exposing who's sitting on too much oil reserves and not being able to move it fast enough. And the fact that, you know, the likes of Russia and MPS um, in, in Saudi Arabia is not helping the case because <laughs> they were fighting over, you know, who's going to produce more oil, uh, you know, because they, they, they were not now mm. part of OPEC, even though Russia was never part of OPEC, but they yeah. didn't want to, you know, stage the pact. Do those fights, I guess, seem a bit marginal now, now that, uh, you know, people are clamoring about and uh, looking for someone who can store their oil with the prices depressed as they are? Uh, you know, those debates might seem like, ah, oh, well, it doesn't really matter at this point. But uh, I guess yeah. the other issue is, uh, is there scope now for South Africa to replenish its own oil reserves? Because we know they were raided uh, not so long ago. Yeah, I mean, we, we spoke about um, Petro SA with my colleagues today, um, you know, someone that worked there, um, you know, in terms of, you no know, oil. The, the, biggest, the biggest issue there is that South Africa currently needs, um, you know, funds for the, to, to combat the, the current COVID-19 pandemic. Mm. So if they receive any funds, and they actually use it, or even if they use their own funds to actually increase those oil reserves, it will look like a bad decision. Or maybe some of those monies that I receive from the likes of the IMS are being misappropriated. Uh, this, I guess, tends to be, you know, discussed and, you know, um, uh, you know, between, you know, intellectuals like you and I, but it's, it's, I think the timing of it is not good enough. Uh, if it were any time before yeah, the, no, the pandemic sure. or after, it would yeah. make a bit more sense. Not for sure. And I mean, I guess that's that's a message that uh, the folk at SAA, those business rescue practitioners, Dongwan and Mattison, I guess, uh, got to understand sometime last week when the government said, yeah. you know, wrong time, wrong time for you now to be asking us uh, for another lifeline when you spend money so quickly and we had a... Uh, we're in a crisis situation that's akin to a war. But uh, let's take a look uh, um, and Bulazi, at what's been happening uh, with uh, uh, ESCOM. Now, uh, you'd recall the president saying, uh, let's maybe hold off on force majeures. Uh, we don't want the kind of supply chain disruptions that those might lead to or might trigger. And it seems now that uh, a force majeure announced yesterday with Exara and one earlier on today in a SENS announcement uh, by West Coal uh, seems to fly straight in the face of that. Yeah, you don't know what to believe anymore, right? But, I mean, 
again, this is a good example. ESCOM has been in trouble for how long? They're only pushing out force majeure I mean. now and using the, the pandemic as an excuse, right? But, but to be fair, I mean, they also put out an earlier force majeure to some of the uh, independent power producers. So uh, I guess maybe the time between the two statements for me is what is quite interesting. If, you, if you're going to have to send a force majeure to one yeah. type of your suppliers, surely the coal players were already expecting this. Yeah, well, I guess it was a long time coming. Like I said, for ESCOM, it, it comes le- as less of a surprise. But, mm. you know, for a big company like Exile, this is a, it's going to be a big issue because that's basically the majority of, um, you know, the, the, the source of revenues uh, and obviously exports. But currently, they can't even export any of that coal. So that's a big issue that this pandemic is, you know, is bringing all these operations into a standstill. Um, we're going to talk about other operations that are coming to a standstill just now, but... Uh, mining is is one of the biggest, mm. you know, net gainers from the weakening of the U.S. dollars. The fact that you're telling them that they can't get these U.S. dollars, and then, uh, you know, locally they can't do business with the likes of ESCOM, is it's it just it just spells big trouble that I can't even start to explain. Mm, mm, mm. Tough times, tough times ahead here. And uh, uh, let's take a look now at. Um, you know, the, the IMF debate. Uh, you would certainly be aware of what I mean when I refer to the IMF debate and some Correct. of the reluctance uh, by some in the governing uh, party here in South Africa to, to even consider uh, multilateral assistance from the International Monetary Fund. Well, uh, the IMF, uh, uh, being interviewed by Bloomberg over the last day, has come out and said South Africa would be entitled uh, to just over $4 billion U.S. dollars worth of support. And, of course, there would be a few strings here. I'm quite interested, in Bulazi, in some of the terms of this. Uh, so uh, my understanding is that uh, one would have a um, uh, percentage point, uh, 1% interest, and uh, you would have about uh, just over three, uh, three, between three and five years uh, to pay this off. Uh, how does that square up to, I guess, uh, other IMF lending that would happen uh, were it not for us t- uh, finding ourselves in this crisis? Of course, this doesn't sound like a big problem, right? But uh, remember, if you or you 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 borrowing in U.S. dollars, you have to pay back in U.S. dollars. And unfortunately, where the rand is currently, it's not looking good. The reason why South Africa, you know, historically has been a quote-unquote stable, we've had a stable currency, is because most of our debt or majority of our debt was actually in rand, mm. and we can print more money and pay it back in rand, right? But sure. if you if it's in U.S. dollars, it, it becomes a little bit trickier. Um, you know, for Treasury and, you know, um, the government as a whole to to see what, what's happening here. But currently we're talking about, you know, $4.2 billion doesn't sound like a lot of money. Yeah, how much is that? Around, what, 80 billion rand or so? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, but the thing is, it can get worse because this 1% now, um, like you're saying, of, of interest, it doesn't sound like a lot, but in US dollars, it's, it's a lot considering that mm. rate currently at negative or zero. It's so it's still, yeah. And Bulazi, with the capital outflows that we've seen in our bond and equity markets, uh, it might have, uh, it might probably look a lot larger uh, yeah. if we are to see some rapid rand depreciation in the coming weeks. And the government cannot do any collections as we stand. We're seeing, a, exactly. a, you know, a brain drain in, in South Africa. We're seeing operations leave South Africa. People, individuals leave the country. You know, the biggest taxpayers are leaving. So. If the tax, you know, revenues are coming down, and you ask yourself, how, do, how are we going to pay back all of this money? So, these are real issues. But again, we are in a, a you know, a pandemic. It's an emergency. We need to make decisions quite quickly and make right decisions with that. 
uh, unlike mm. the decisions that we've made, for example, of shutting down the economy 100%, we have no mm. operation. Because, you know, net exporters in South Africa could be the ones helping, you know, the, the RAND, for example, by bringing in more dollars into the country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, certainly a tough one there, and uh, I guess it's uh, not a debate that's going to end anytime soon, because... Uh, many of us are familiar with the history of the IMF in uh, many yep. emerging market economies, and I think uh, the issue the of uh, dirty money exactly right, uh, and the issue <laughs> of uh, uh, the currency risk of uh, that kind of lending, I think, remains uh, an important consideration that's going to have to be taken into account here, as we yep. try and uh, mobilise some of those resources. And maybe uh, the president might give us some guidance later on this evening about uh, how much, uh, or uh, I guess, which multilateral agencies might be approached for some assistance here. Now, Mbulazi, I know... Especially since they've yeah. told Tito to hold to hold off with this whole IMF thing. So they said, you know, you're quick on the quiver. Just, you know, <laughs> take a chill pill. <laughs> yeah, I think someone has taken the phone away from the finance minister because uh, I think we would have seen a lot of tweets about uh, all manner of things. Uh, surely by now <laughs> in the moment. But uh, Bulazi, uh, I want us to take a look at the flower trade now. Uh, uh, I mean, I I certainly think that you, you would have bought many a flower in your time uh, for uh, 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 for some lucky ladies. And that being said, uh, Bulazi, I mean, 8.5 billion US dollars of a global industry here. Uh, and uh, I found a very, I found this article, uh, particularly uh, ran by Bloomberg, quite interesting because what it does suggest is that uh, there's a massive and a very globalized supply chain here, uh, which uh, COVID has certainly decimated, that runs from places like Kenya and Ecuador through Amsterdam and through to some of the big flower markets in Europe. Uh, just maybe talk us through this and uh, I guess uh, the impact that this is going to have now, now that uh, uh, we're not going to be seeing as many weddings and as many events that require some floral arrangement. Yeah, of course. That's where I was going to go. Where are, you know, flowers most used? You know, apart from... Um, I forget the, the, the flower delivery company here with the funny ad. Apart from those kind of reasons, it's actually mostly used in offices mm. and um, when it comes to weddings, like you said. So the supply chain for a wedding alone, you know, goes from, you know, the wedding planner who's sourcing these things from, the, from, the, from their supplier and the supplier will get it directly from the likes of Kenya, Colombia, Ecuador, like you're saying, or maybe in Europe or down Cape Town, if you want proteas, because we've got a very big protea market here mm, in South Africa, mm. um, which also has come to a standstill. But um, basically, the article is is talking about, you know, the importance of this market and how it actually works and how it affects all of those people in the supply chain, like you suggested. Um, if you've been to Kenya, you'll know that like Lake Navasha is is yes, a remote place in the middle of nowhere. Beautiful. Um, you know, scenery as you go there. That's why it has such rich, um, uh, you know, biodiversity when it comes to the kind of flowers they're able to produce. Mm. So you get this unique flower that you want specifically for that specific wedding of yours because, you know, it's a once-in-a-lifetime moment and you want it to be perfect for you and your partner. Mm. So, But because weddings are being played because of, you know, social distancing and then lockdowns, etc., it just affects some, you know, producers who are now have been piling up flowers into manure because no one is, you know, taking their flowers and they can't get out of the country and they have an excess of flowers and they have to come down in the production. So, and it goes all the way to the drivers, you know, um, you know, the planes that just take these um, flowers fresh to the place of where it could be used. Um, and, you know, we're talking about wedding venues, we're talking about 
wedding planners, like I said, the, the designers of the dresses, all of that is just getting decimated. And this is mm. basically has caused a crash of an 8.5 billion, um, you know, market. This is no different, for example, to the entertainment market. This morning I wrote yes. uh, in our morning message about the, you know, cinema market, you know, the blockbuster market. Mm. That's a 13 billion US dollar market that also has been delayed for another year. Mm. Tough times, tough times, Pulazi, and uh, uh, we'll certainly have to leave it there. But uh, before I let you go, I mean, uh, I think it's always important to take a look at uh, your crystal ball there, Kumalo. Uh, what's happening? Uh, what do you uh, expect or anticipate from uh, uh, the president's announcement uh, of uh, that economic recovery package? I think uh, we've re- really done quite well on the health side of things in terms of yes, going yes, out yes. actively to find those virus and uh, to contain its spread. Uh, I think everybody, and I, I think I speak on behalf of all South Africans here, is expecting and anticipating uh, some announcements from the president on the economic side. What are you expecting? Of course. I mean, the, the, the economic side is equally important as the health side, right? We've done mm. an exceptional job on the one side, like you're saying. I hope we, you know, copy-paste those best practices and move forward with the economic side of things because what you know the government has fought South Africans to do is to choose between hunger and, and dying from hunger or dying from COVID and you don't want to make any of those two options you have to find a balance you know a sweet spot where you can say you can still operate if I sell my labor because I need to be out of the house to be able to work then I need to be able to do that, but still implementing those social distancing measures where possible to make sure that the spread is still minimal. Mm. Uh, whereas right now, where we are, we went for the you know the nuclear option to say shut down everything, sure. and, and we've gone as far as shutting down you know prepared food at Woolies because the likes of Nando's were complaining. So mm. did that hit you hard, Mbulas? <laughs> no, it didn't really hit me hard. I'm I'm co- I'm cooking here. Oh, I'm pretty happy. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying, like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm lazy, so yeah. sure. it, it just doesn't make a lot of sense, you know, how these decisions are made because the decision we're talking about was made two, three days ago. Yes, Baba. Yeah, so it's, we need some congruency in decision making. And no, but I, I think, Bulazi, you can accept, right, that there was some regulatory arbitrage there. I mean, if, 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 um, if you know, I can go and prepare Amakuinya and sell them on the corner of the street and, uh, you know, some of the other bigger guys who would prepare, uh, although maybe in a bit more sophisticated fashion, prepare uh, their meals in the same kind of way aren't allowed to operate, then uh, we've got to close those loopholes as they arrive. I mean, you've got you to fly the plane as you build it. Yeah, the thing is, it's never, regulation like that is never perfect, right? It never caters for everyone, and there's always the bad sure, actors. Sure. Yeah, there's, which proves, I guess, the rule, right? So, in fact, they were trying to pass it towards the end is good, but we also want to see, you know, people going back to work. Because, unfortunately, um, a month without any form of income, you know, with average households of six individuals, uh, where there's only one breadwinner, is a disaster. That's mm. why we've seen these looting that we've seen in distribution centers across South Africa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bulaz, we'll have to leave it there, my brother. Always a pleasure catching up with you, Mtungwa. Uh, thank you, thank uh, yeah, you. Yeah, all the best, man. And uh, continue there to stay indoors. <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> sure, sure.